It's Monday, June 22nd. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Going through the coronavirus pandemic has been a learning process for both people and governments and how the virus infects someone. But there's finally a growing consensus on how you catch COVID-19. Getting sick from touching surfaces or quick encounters is less of a worry than close-up, person-to-person interactions for extended periods of time. It's crucial to understand how the virus is transmitted because it informs governments on the proper ways to reopen economies. We should still be worried about things like concerts and bars, we need to improve ventilation in buildings, and we need to continue to wear those face masks. Betsy McKay, senior writer at The Wall Street Journal, joins us for more on how you catch COVID-19. Next, there have been over 50,000 coronavirus deaths in U.S. nursing homes. In New York, one of the hardest hit areas in the country, things got very complicated when Governor Andrew Cuomo in March issued an order stating that if a hospital determined a patient who needed a nursing care home was medically stable, the home had to accept them, even though they had been treated for COVID-19. The reasoning behind the order was that it would open up crucial beds when they thought hospitals would be overwhelmed by coronavirus patients. Joaquin Sapien, reporter at ProPublica, joins us for how this decision might have contributed to the spread of COVID-19 in New York nursing homes. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. There's a famous study now, a famous event, a church choir rehearsal where 87% of the people who were there actually got infected just from one person being infected. And that scientists believe is because of all the singing. When you sing, you project. Joining us now is Betsy McKay, senior writer at The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Betsy. Thanks for having me. Right now, we're finally getting to a consensus about how people actually catch COVID-19. When we first started, there was a lot of concern about surfaces. Don't touch things uh, that might be have come in contact with somebody else that might have had it. We're starting to learn that that's a little less worried about that. And the big worry now is these up-close, person-to-person interactions for extended periods of time. This is really where they're finding that the transmission is happening. Betsy, tell us a little bit more about this. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. When this pandemic first started, I think we all thought, gee, everything's a risk. I can get it anywhere. Surfaces, just breathing the air around me. Now it really does seem like it is, as you said, close up person to person interactions. And that can be a lot of things, you know. Um, so crowded events where you have a lot of people. You may have heard the term super spreader event. and. Right. And that happens when there's one infected person in a really confined space, maybe talking loudly, and the air, the, the room is poorly ventilated. So these types of things, you know, there's a famous study now, a famous event, a church choir rehearsal, where 87% of the people who were there actually got infected just from one person being infected. And that scientists believe is because of all the singing. When you sing, you project. So as we start to learn more about this, it it starts to help policymakers figure out, okay, what's okay and what's not okay going forward. Yeah. And just a little bit more on that church example that you were talking about, because it's important. All told, 53 of the 61 attendees at that practice got infected, but it was a two and a half hour practice. The members of the choir changed places four times And as you mentioned, they were tightly packed in their confined space. They were mostly older. So all they were doing was just kind of playing this musical chairs with each other, continuously spreading that in that one confined space. These are the things that we're worried about. And 
you mentioned how learning this informs governments on how to reopen. That's why things like concerts, going to a bar, even going to the gym can be a really problematic area. Some people ask, were the lockdowns necessary? Did we have to lock down absolutely everything? And the people I've talked to have said, look, pretty much yes, for two reasons. One, they didn't know where the dangers were and there was no way to, to know it at that point. You know, this virus is only five and a half months old or it's only been spreading for five and a half months. The second thing is um, you just don't know where the next danger is going to come when you've got so many people, for example, in New York City who are infected. But now, you know, now while you've got outbreaks all over the country, and it's certainly a huge concern. It's a little less little less intense. So this will be a help going forward, um, figuring out, you know, what stores should do to reopen or what, you know, but not bars, for example. Tell me a little bit about the attack rate with which this spreads. And then this kind of, uh, you know, people have heard like the, the 80-20 rule. There's this kind of 10-80 rule where the it's an estimated that 10% of people with COVID-19 are responsible for about 80% of transmissions. So there is this thing called the attack rate, which is the percentage of people who were infected at a given place or time. For example, at this this church choir rehearsal, um, which we should say took place in March when people knew very little about this virus. So it wasn't, you know, people didn't understand their risk when they were coming to this thing. So at that, 87% of the attendees were infected. So, so the attack rate um, can be very high in these, in these crowded types of events. Also in homes, particularly where you have multi-generation, multiple generations living, many people in a small home or just other places where people, people come together um, in, you know, have extended exposure to each other in tight quarters or a place that's just poorly ventilated. So you don't have the air circulating and the, the virus able to disperse. So this, this idea that 10% of the people are responsible for about, for about 80% of transmissions, that's from a recent study. And what it's describing are these so-called super spreader events where you have, um, you know, one person at a conference. For example, there was a conference in Boston in March. Um, this church choir would be another Certainly the cruise ships um, several months ago, these, these were also super spreader events. You just have several factors come together, both environmental, and there may be something about that, that infected person. They speak loudly or where they're standing or whatever. Um, and, and so then you end up getting a lot of people infected at once. The opposite of that is that that means that a lot of people aren't actually infecting anybody else. If you have a small number of people infecting, you know, 10% of people infecting 80%, 10% of the infected people infecting 80% more, that means you've got a large number of people who are not infecting either anybody or a very small number of people. That definitely makes the case for wearing face masks. If you were uh, talking loudly and, and, you know, spouting out those viral particles, you know, face mask, it's not going to stop everything. It is going to help a lot. And and you think about transitioning back into the workplace. I, I mean, this leads me to believe that, you know, there'll be no more conference rooms. Uh, you know, why would you put a lot of people in a small space sitting next to each other? And, you know, what do you have? You have a speaker, you have people taking turns talking like that. We've proved that we can do without those now with uh, virtual meetings and whatnot. So that seems like that could be something that goes by the wayside as well. You know, the idea of holding a large event indoors 
it's really difficult to justify right now because you never know if somebody's infected. And, you know, it's important for everybody to remember that if you're infected, you can start spreading the virus to other people two days before you show any symptoms yourself. So we actually don't know who's infected in a group of people, either nobody or, or people who aren't, aren't sick yet. So there's a strong argument for masks and for everybody to wear a mask because you don't know if you're infected and you don't know who around you is infected. And so if you both wear it, it's, it's a way to protect everybody and just keep the air clean. <laughs> you know, this, this, basically this disease spreads through, um, it's a kind of a gross term, but respiratory droplets. The virus comes out with spit and there's either little tiny pieces of spit that hang in the air a while and then there's large pieces that kind of fall to a surface right away. And um, the idea when you get in these confined spaces, particularly those that aren't well ventilated, that's another thing. Building codes are probably going to have to change, right? Um, when you get, you, you get this sort of buildup uh, virus, and that's, that's one way you get a lot of people infected. Betsy McKay, senior writer at The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Well, thanks so much for having me. Nursing homes are the single biggest fear in all of this. Vulnerable people in one place. It is the feeding frenzy for this virus. Joining us now is Joaquin Sapien, reporter at ProPublica. Thanks for joining us, Joaquin. Thanks for having me. Wanted to talk about coronavirus and nursing homes. You know, some of the latest counts that we've seen, there might have been 50,000 people that have died of coronavirus that were at nursing homes throughout the country. And obviously in New York, they were especially hard hit. And it seemed to be that there was a lot of failures at the state level going all the way down to some of the nursing homes themselves. But let's start off at the top. There was an order on March 25th that uh, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo basically said that if a hospital was uh, ready to discharge someone after being treated for COVID-19 and they were going to be able to go to a nursing home that you can send them there despite maybe still being a little contagious or something like that, but they were going to be sent there. And then as we know, coronavirus just ravaged all these different nursing homes. Joaquin, tell us a little bit about this order and how it affected everything. So we focused on this order, which came out on March 25th. It basically said that nursing homes were in effect, required to take in people who were positive for COVID-19 or who had not even been tested for COVID-19. And the policy also prevented the nursing homes from requiring a test or from performing their own tests on people who were being discharged from the hospitals. And the idea from the Cuomo administration initially was that it was going to help with hospital capacity. Early on, as you'll recall, when the virus hit, there was a lot of concern about having enough beds, particularly ICU beds, to handle what was sure to be a deluge of patients suffering coronavirus. And as it turned out, in a lot of places in New York, particularly in the region that we focused on in our story, the hospitals never quite reached a breaking point. Or In New York City, they got about as close as you could get to that, but they never became completely overwhelmed. And in areas uh, like in upstate New York, 
they never really came close to having their capacity tested. And so what that meant, at least in the region that we wrote about, was that people were being released from hospitals who had COVID-19 into nursing homes. And as Governor Cuomo has said himself, COVID-19 is like wildfire cutting through dry grass when it's introduced to a nursing home. And that's exactly what has happened in a lot of nursing homes throughout the state. It's difficult to know exactly whether the policy led to this explosion of cases inside of these nursing homes or if people had caught the virus that were working in them and introduced it that way. We'll never really know. One of the nursing homes that you focused on for your piece was Diamond Hill in the Troy, New York area. Tell us a little bit about what happened there. So we discovered that Diamond Hill had a checkered track record going into coronavirus. Uh, As it turned out, for one thing, it's been penalized many times by the state, found in violation of a variety of, of safety codes and things like that. And there was a woman there a 75-year-old patient who suffered dementia and was found by her family in a really kind of disturbing state where her bed had been essentially covered in urine and feces and she was clearly not being well cared for. And that actually did make some news in February of this year, just before the virus hit. And I spoke extensively with a nurse who was hired just a few months before that, and she described a situation in which there was never enough staff to care for patients who had these really extreme needs. She said that there could be as few as four staff to look after as many as 80 people. So the place was really kind of struggling even before coronavirus hit. And then once it did, something like 18 residents died of coronavirus in a facility that has about 120 beds. We discovered that more than 50 of its 100 or so staffers became infected with the virus. I think the words that people from there said that it was chaos in the way things that were happening. At the very beginning, they didn't want to tell other staff members that somebody had coronavirus Then later on, when things were getting really crazy, people were taking time off, obviously, because they were ill. And it seemed like management was trying to get them back in before they had completely recovered, which would only make things worse, depending on how close they're working with some of the patients there. So it really did seem like nobody really knew what was going on or or just desperate for more people to help there at the nursing homes. So what happened was the place was short staffed before coronavirus hit. And then afterward, you had staffers who began to get sick with the virus and were staying home, were staying home out of fear of coming in and getting sick. And some of these workers had been ordered by the county to stay home for a couple of weeks because of their exposure to this virus. And the administration, from what we're told, was offering staffers gift cards to get them to come into work and because they were so desperate, which 
seems like a kind of a, an odd way to entice people to come in and basically risk their lives by offering them something like a Dunkin' Donuts gift card. But those were sort of the desperate straits that the administration was in. And we heard about stories like that from the county because there were people who were out sick who were calling the county and saying they're trying desperately to get me to go back to work, but I'm on quarantine. And so I've been infected with the virus or I've been tested positive with the virus. So I don't want to go in and spread it around. And so, you know, left these employees with very difficult decisions to make about whether to come in and do their jobs and care for vulnerable people or risk getting sick or exposing themselves, exposing their families. It's just a really difficult situation that this home put its employees in. What has been the overall reaction from the Cuomo administration, who obviously made this order? We have a lot more to look into, but it really does seem like this type of order really didn't help in a lot of the nursing homes in the state. Have they responded to any of this? Have they said sorry or claimed fault for it? It's changed a little bit over the last six weeks or so. Initially, they were saying that this was a decision that had to be made in order to ensure capacity inside hospitals. Then it took a different tack and sort of blamed the Trump administration and blamed the CDC and said that they were following CDC guidance. But, you know, we shared some of the CDC guidance with some experts and a lot of people who looked at the CDC guidance and then looked at the New York order didn't really see how those two things connected or how one could influence the other. So right now, the administration is essentially saying, we're going to see what the science shows, whether this virus came into nursing homes because of these hospital discharges, which happened after the March 25th order, or if people had gotten sick on their own and somehow brought the virus into the facility. And again, it's going to be really difficult to ever get to the bottom of that. But when you talk to people in this field, the risks are obvious. If you take somebody that's got coronavirus and put them inside of a nursing home, chances are, you know, especially a nursing home that doesn't have solid protections or a way to keep people isolated from one another, it's going to spread. And so that's what we saw happen at Diamond Hill. You know, the other part of what the administration will say is that the guidance said that the nursing homes should only take these kinds of patients if they're capable of handling them, if they're capable of offering them the treatment that they need. But it's not clear who really is in charge of making sure that that home is doing what they're sort of saying that they're capable of. So is it entirely on the home to say, yeah, we think we can safely quarantine people and isolate people and we have enough PPE to handle this. And you just give that state the assurance and that's it. Or is the state actually coming in and making sure that that's the case? None of that has really been made clear to us yet. Joaquin Sapien, reporter at ProPublica. Thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. 
follow us on iHeartRadio, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive was produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this is your Daily Dive.